Okay. This is going to be a a rougher introduction, but as we continue doing more of these episodes, we'll get the introduction more down packed. So we've had Leaderless by Ari Perez. We've had The Social Construct of Leslie uh, by myself, Leslie Roth. We've had the Rockford Reading Daily podcast, which have which has consisted of multiple different people doing the readings, but primarily me doing the readings in and then reflecting on the passages within there. And so today we're going to start a new podcast series, which we're going to entitle From Rockford. That's the name we're going with. And we're going to we're going to figure the introduction and get the introduction down some. But I think that the concept that we're going to try to run with here is speaking about recent events that have taken place either locally or nationally that have connections to police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. And then also speaking about events that have taken place in place in the past, both uh, locally or nationally, that has connections to police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. And I think actually in general, one of the things that we'll probably do as well is try to speak about some some issues that have global connections to the the issues of police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice. And so it will be myself, Leslie Roth and Ari Perez. Not sure what day or time these podcast episodes will come out or when the first one will come out. But once this first one comes out, the plan is to put them out weekly. So our first, the first week in our first episode will be covering the shootings and murders of Donovan Lewis in Columbus, Ohio, shot by the police and the murder of Peter Yeager in Rockford, Illinois, shot and killed by the police. And there is also another police shooting that took place in Zion, Illinois, that we'll speak about as well, where a man was shot and killed by police officers. And we'll speak about some of the commonalities that those shootings have with each other and some of the differences that they have with each other. And then we'll also speak about some of the commonalities and differences that, th that these shootings have with the shootings that have taken place in the past in this country. And before we dive into the first article that we're going to read, I want to remind people that every day, three people, three people in this country are shot and killed by law enforcement which averages out to more than a thousand people a year being shot and killed by law enforcement. I think it's the Washington post, which has a website that they update regularly with statistics about people who have been shot and killed by the police. And I think it's very important to understand how common this happens and how regularly it has happened when we begin to speak about why they these things continue to happen. And so let's read this article from the Columbus Dispatch about the shooting of Donovan Lewis, the murder of Donovan Lewis. This is an article that was published on September 10th. And it's the first portion of it reads like this. Nearly two weeks after the fatal police shooting of Donovan Lewis, members of his family are preparing for his funeral Saturday as the investigation by the Ohio Bureau of Investigation continues into his death. Lewis, 20, was fatally shot early August 30th while Columbus K-9 officer Ricky Anderson and several other officers were trying to arrest him on multiple felony and misdemeanor warrants. 
Police obtained multiple warrants for Lewis, who was wanted on a felony charge of improper handling of a firearm, a misdemeanor probation violation, and misdemeanor charges filed in connection with an August 10th domestic violence and assault incident involving Lewis's girlfriend, court records show. Police body camera video shows Lewis did not respond to officers at the door of Lewis's apartment on Sullivan Avenue, who arrived shortly after 2 a.m. and were knocking for 8 to 10 minutes and identifying themselves as police. One of two other young men in the apartment finally answered. Those two men, who have not been identified or charged, were detained in handcuffs outside the second-floor apartment at the three-story building on the 3200 block of Sullivan. Police, including a canine and his handler, Anderson, a 30-year veteran, went into the apartment. Police warned that they will release the dog, but Anderson leashes the canine as he and another officer approach the closed bedroom door where Lewis is inside. Anderson opened the bedroom door as the officer yelled, quote, hands, end quote. Within a second of the door opening, Anderson leans into the doorway opening and shoots Lewis, who was sitting up in bed with what police chief Elaine Bryant said later turned out to be a vape pen in his left hand. Lewis was handcuffed, patted down, and carried out of the apartment and downstairs to a grass area outside. After Lewis was carried from the apartment, officers rendered medical aid by applying what appears to be a trauma bandage and performing CPR. Medics, who did not immediately respond despite being told three times to go straight into the scene, arrived several minutes later and took Lewis to Ohio Health Grant Medical Center, where he died at 319 a.m. A search warrant returned filed by Columbus Police and Franklin County Municipal Court on Wednesday shows what was collected as evidence from Lewis's second-floor apartment. The return warrant shows no firearm was found in the apartment. While the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation is the lead agency investigating the shooting, Columbus Police obtained the search warrant on their behalf. The document requested that BCI agents be able to execute the search warrant. The search warrant return shows that two items were collected by BCI at the apartment that morning. One item is the black vape pen that is seen on the body camera footage. The other is Anderson's spent cartridge casing that was found on the floor in the doorway to the bedroom from where the officer fired. In new body camera footage from after the shooting released on Thursday by Columbus, Columbus Police, Lewis's mother, Rebecca Duran, is seen speaking with the sergeant who was at the scene of the shooting. Duran tells the sergeant that she received a call from Lewis's girlfriend who had gotten called by police to alert her that a shooting had taken place. Duran asked to know what hospital Lewis was taken to and does not yet know that he has died. In speaking with the sergeant, Duran said her son is, quote, mentally ill, end quote, and that she, quote, knows that's always the story, end quote. She had begged prosecutors for help for her son for years. Duran said Thursday at a press conference called by Lewis's family and their legal team outside Columbus City Hall that she has sought help from counselors, psychiatrists, and others for the majority of his life because of issues she as a mother had recognized in her child. Quote, he was special and different and had good and bad days. People thought it was discipline issues and not a mental health issue. End quote, Duran said. Before a crowd of more than 150 demonstrators gathered last Friday to protest Lewis's death outside the Columbus Division of Police headquarters downtown, Lewis's parents publicly spoke for the first time about him. Quote, he was so sweet and so kind, even when someone disrespected him and there was a situation, end quote, said Darrell Lewis, Donovan's father, who is black. Quote, he was so forgiving, he would forget about it and still come to you and show you love, end quote. Duran, who is white, 
said her son loved music. A song his family said he created was played at one intersection as demonstrators marched through downtown on September 2nd, the first of three days of demonstrations. Okay, so that was a nice amount to read through, but I think it was important to try to read through that story and touch on as many points as possible that were covered. So I'm going to turn it over to Ari for our first reflection on the murder of Donovan Lewis and some of the information that was given by uh, by the reporters about the story. I think what stick out to me most about this Donovan Lewis shooting, this Donovan, Donovan Lewis murder, is there's this idea out there, there's this narrative out there that uh, police officers or law enforcement are somehow part of the community or community officers or community policing. And in fact, I think this case is, shows quite clearly that that is not the case. The police officers are not part of a community or they're not part of a, a civilized society. They are agents of the state. Community officers, commun people who are part of the community, don't come up to your house in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, with guns and dogs and say, he's the person up there is going to get bit by a dog. That's not, these are agents of the state. We cannot trust these institutions anymore. We cannot trust these institutions to just take their place with the society or take their place at the picnic or take their place at the basketball game. No, the same police officer who giving your kid uh, an ice cream cone is the same police officer who will pull up to your cousin's house, go break into your cousin's house, and let off some, some shots. That's the same police officer. These are agents of the state. Because if, if, if this was a true community organization, a true community-based institution, Donovan, the, the mental health aspects that his mother talked about would have been addressed. Donovan Lewis' life would have been uh, addressed more adequately. His mental health would have been addressed in an adequate way. But no, these are police officers who dehumanize a certain aspect of society and who take that us versus them, <laughs> that us versus them mentality. Where the people, they're not concerned about Donovan Lewis as a human being. They're not concerned about Donovan Lewis as a person. They're concerned about Donovan Lewis, the person that, the, not even the person, the thing that is about to be put into handcuffs. That's what Donovan Lewis is to these police officers. Not a human being like them, but a subhuman. That's what his life is. That's how police officers, that's how we can see three shootings, three murders happen a day here in the United States. Because it is a, they act as if we, the people, are subhumans. So as I was reading about the Donovan Lewis shooting and looking up different articles, I seen that in Columbus, in this area, there have been three police shootings that had taken place in the in eight day in an eight day period. And I think one of the other parts of the macroaggressions of police terrorism, which are police shootings, is that in some areas, in some cities, they happen more often than others. And in some areas, because they happen so often, they can become 
normalized and people in the community can come become desensitized to them and they just think that it's something that they have to accept. And I think that the places where these shootings do happen with the most regularity are the places where we have to have the the heaviest determination and the heaviest pushes of organizing. And so even though I, I'm not in Columbus, Ohio right now, I would hope that there are sections of the community, uh, sections of people who for the first time their consciousness is being heightened to this shooting of Donovan Lewis because of the gruesome nature of it, because of some of the national attention that it's gotten. And hopefully that puts them in a position where they become proactive instead of reactive going forward. And that this can be a, a moment in which movement building and the foundations of movement building can begin. And I think that for us personally here in Rockford, Illinois, that was something that took place that's taken place at different portions or at different times when shootings have happened. I think that when you look at the murder of Mark Barmore, you can see that there were some foundations that were put in place for movement building. And when you look at the the three years, the one year stint in which three people were killed, Logan Bell, Carrie Blake, I mean, Logan Bell, Demetrius Bennett, and what's the name I'm missing? Logan Bell, Demetrius Bennett, and Philip Johnson. So Logan Bell, Demetrius Bennett, and Philip Johnson were all killed in a three-year period. And there were foundations that were for movement building that were put together during that period. And then we've seen the same thing take place when Eddie Patterson was shot and killed by Jamie Cox, that there were foundations that began to be put in place for movement building. And I think that the, the events that took place when George Floyd was murdered on May 25th and the, the events that took place on May 30th when people gathered outside of District 1 was a culmination of some of these police killings that had happened in the past decade. And, you know, me personally, my first connection to a officer-involved shooting and experience with it was the shooting of Tyrus Jones. And that was the case for a lot of members of the May 30th Alliance. But there were also members of the May 30th Alliance, uh, Antar specifically, who had gotten involved after Demetrius Bennett had been killed, had became more proactive then, who, uh, who was around when Mark Barmore had been shot and killed. And I think that you never really know at any point in time when one of these murders happens, how it's going to affect the community and which people are going to want to become more active from it. But I think as long as we, we try to pull something out of, we try to pull some type of foundations or cornerstones for movement building out of these actions of police terrorism happening, then that is that is going to get us closer to the point of being able to adequately struggle against these things. And, and then I think one of the other things that, that I really think about when reflecting on this, the murder of Donovan Lewis is the dangers of the way that search warrants and arrest warrants are executed in this country. The time of day that they're executed the fact that most of the times there is a, a element of deception that goes into these warrants being executed, an element, an element of, you know, surprise that goes into these warrants being executed, and all of those things put everybody that's involved in this in the execution of these warrants at risk. The officers are put at risk. 
uh, the people are put at risk, any neighbors are put at risk because there is uh, because of the element of surprise that is being used. And a lot of times when and I don't think that you can ever be using the element of surprise in a in a, a humane manner. You know, the concept of the element of surprise is to overtake something, is to overtake somebody. And so you can't be I think we can't be surprised as a community or as people when somebody is shot and killed by these police officers when search warrants and arrest warrants are being executed because for the history that these warrants have been taking place or these warrants have been being executed in this manner, there have always been people who have been shot and killed. There's, I can remember reading in the end of policing about uh, times when warrants are being executed and they're throwing in, they threw in like a flashbang grenade and it ended up in, I think maybe like a, a cradle or ended up in a somewhere where a child was at and it killed a child. And I think that, you know, when Breonna Taylor in 2020, that was a warrant being executed. I think back to Malcolm X speaking about in the 60s, 63 or something like that, speaking about the, the, these no knock warrant, the no knock warrant legislation being passed in New York. And he called it a, a anti-Negro uh, legislation being passed because he said it was an excuse for black people to, for police to be able to kill black people that were uh, inside their homes. Uh, I also think about the book, uh, rise of the warrior cop, uh, rise of the warrior cop. Yeah, rise of the warrior cop. The militarization of America's police force. And one of the things that they document regularly throughout that book is the the changing of castle doctrine and how at the inception of this country, the idea that a police force could storm into somebody's house unannounced or even with any type of warrant or for any of the litany list of reasons that police go into people's houses now was something that was unfathomable and outside the realm of possibility. And we see now how often these things happen. And I think the, in coordination with that point, the idea that, or the concept of police officers consistently being in a shoot first, ask questions later mentality, uh, which goes like to Ari said about the us versus them mentality. And as long as you have a shoot first, ask questions later mentality, then you have a mentality where people are guilty before being proven innocent. As long as you are, you have police officers whose policies and procedures make it that they mistake vape pens for guns or mistake hairbrushes for guns or cell phones for guns, or even at times nothing at all for a gun. And they feel justified and in shooting somebody because of that. Then it means that person just by being suspected of a crime, even before, even in an allegation, sometimes even occurs, this person is guilty uh, before being proven innocent. And I think that all of those things, you know, in, in coordination and in culmination with each other are why we, again, get to this statistic of three people a day being shot and killed by, uh, by law enforcement in this country. I think what really touched on me in discussing this shooting, the second shooting, the second murder committed by Rockford police officers this year is we are getting it to a place in Rockford where it is becoming more common, where these murders are ha happening at a more frequent rate. The last five years, three incidences of deadly force are used by police officers in Winnebago County. That's what really stuck out to me in the type of climate that we are moving toward. 
towards in Rockford. But also, what really stick out to me is almost the 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 copy and paste response that we are almost expected to get from now on from Jay Hanley, from the absence of a response from Tom McNamara. We are we are especially when we compare to the uh, police shooting that we just covered, the where the video, the, the body camera footage is already out. It's multiple uh, elected leaders and uh, police officers that are making uh, public statements about this. And what are we getting in Rockford? Silence? Reserve your judgment? Why should I reserve my judgment to a task force that has never found anybody guilty of anything ever? Why should I reserve my judgment for something that is just a delay and a justification? Why, why, why are we as community members always told to calm down when the police officer can't calm down when he barges into uh, houses and letting off his guns? Nowhere in this report, and I find this, it's very interesting to me when uh, Jay Hanley or whoever comes out and makes the same, it's very interesting what they say, but what they didn't say as well. Nowhere in this release, correct me if I'm wrong, nowhere in this release did he say that the police officers told him to put down his gun. Nowhere did he say that the police, that uh, Peter Yeager pointed his gun at the police officers or anything of that, match, of that matter. All they said was, they don't even, at this point, they didn't even tell us if the gun was loaded. They didn't, they didn't even tell us if the gun was loaded. So at this point, we are, it is undetermined if, Peter Yeager was a, a, a physical threat to anyone at this point, at that point in time. That's what really stuck out to me. That's what really stuck out to me. The response of the institutions, the response of these institutions that are almost, it, it almost seems as if they are meant to domesticate us. As if these resp- these statements or these press releases are just meant to, to hopefully this will be enough and people won't think about it no more and people will forget about it and in three months and four months and five months will put out a release saying it was all justified. A man was murdered. No press conference, no real investigation, just the same old task force that has invest that has investigated. Over 15 cases of deadly force and has found each one of them justified. It almost is disrespectful to us as a community, it's disrespectful to us as human beings. It's it's the idea that we're just supposed to tr- blindly trust institutions. What has this task force done to show that it's reserved its judgment? What has this task force done to show that it's unbiased? Are you going to tell me, are you going to realistically tell me that an institution that has a 100% justification rate does not have a bias? When it comes to... When it comes to discussing Peter Yeager, it's also discussing. It's also important to discuss this narrative that is really quite disgusting to see. 
that really this narrative that is disgusting to see be rolled out on such a frequent uh, basis, this suicide by cop narrative, this idea that that's almost like the city of Rockford's response to mental health is just to break into somebody's home, shoot them and kill them, suicide by cop. That this was happening under Dan O'Shea. This is happening under Carla Red. This is happening under uh, damn, I can't think of his name. I can't think of his name either. But this is something that has been happening in Iraq. But this is happening since Logan Bell. The suicide by cop is not a real thing. It's a, a, a it's fake. It's a farce. It's a lie. It is an insult to your intelligence. It is everything that it sounds like. Suicide by cop. Really? Suicide by cop? Or did the police officers just invade a home and let off their gun into somebody's body who was struggling with mental health issues? What sounds more realistic to you? What sounds like a reasonable thing to you? Suicide by cop? Or a police officer breaking into his home and letting off four bullets? And also, we cannot trust these institutions to even uphold their promises when the, I believe it was a murder of Faust and Guaytigo that Jay Hanley promised was a bi-weekly press conferences, and we got two, maybe three of those before he stopped. We are sitting here uh, September 12th. He promised, or he didn't promise, he said that the name of the officer would be released early next week. It's been a full week. It has been a full week. Since then, since uh, he promised that the, the name of the officer would be released. It's been a full week since then. So why should we as citizens, that's where it comes to, we as citizens cannot trust these institutions because these institutions are going to protect themselves as agents of the state. These shootings are going to keep happening as long as we trust these institutions. Change come from, change come from, and change in Rockford come from community action. Not anything Jay Hanley can do, not any press release Tom McNamara can, can make, because at this point we've seen that they cannot, they are not capable of doing these things. They are not capable of holding a press conference and being honest. That is a thing that they have shown that they are incapable of. So now as we move forward into this investigation, maybe, maybe we'll get more press releases. Maybe He'll hold a press release about it or a press conference about it. Maybe he'll release the body cam footage. I don't think that we as citizens, we as community members of Rockford should be blindly expected to reserve our judgment when it has been shown that police officers can murder you in your home, can murder you outside, can murder you in a church, can murder you in your car. And the, and the task force, the task force that is expected to investigate these shootings, these killings, these murders, these state-sanctioned violence, is just a farce. It's just a delayed justification. Okay. Let's move on to the shooting and killing of Peter Yeager, which took place in Rockford, Illinois, on September 1st, 2022. So this story is 
from Rockford Register Star. The name of the man shot and killed Thursday has been identified as Peter J. Yeager. Winnebago County State's Attorney Jay Hanley and the Winnebago Boone Integrity Task Force released the man's name Friday, as well as more details about the events leading up to the shooting. At about 8.25 p.m. Thursday, Rockford police officers were dispatched to 4175 Linden Road for a domestic disturbance. The caller informed 911 dispatchers her husband, Peter Yeager, was being verbally abusive towards her. The domestic disturbance escalated, and the woman locked herself in the bathroom and waited for the police to arrive. Hanley said during the 911 call, Peter Yeager can be heard yelling at his wife and claiming he may commit suicide by police when they arrive. The officers arrived at 8.31 p.m., according to Hanley. Shortly after their arrival, officers heard the woman screaming while Peter Yeager appeared to be breaking into the locked bathroom where she was hiding. Believing the domestic disturbance had become physical, Hanley said the officers made entry into the house through the garage. Almost immediately after making entry, Hanley said the officers were confronted by Peter Yeager, who was holding a gun. One of the officers fired four times at Peter Yeager. Yeager was given medical treatment at the scene and was later transported to OSF St. Anthony Medical Center, where he was later pronounced dead. At the request of Police Chief Carla Red, the Winnebago Boone County Integrity Task Force arrived on scene and took over the investigation. Officers from Rockford Police Department will not participate in the investigation. Hanley said task force investigators are in the preliminary stages of the investigation as they are still interviewing witnesses, collecting evidence from the scene, and obtaining video evidence, including the officers' body cam footage. The body cam footage is not being released at this time, and the name of the officer who fired the fatal rounds is expected to be released early next week. Quote, it is imperative that the community understand that the following information is based on a preliminary and ongoing investigation, which continues to evolve as investigators interview witnesses, review physical and electronic records, and analyze forensic evidence, end quote, Hanley said. Quote, the task force and the state's attorney's understanding of the facts and circumstances may change as additional evidence is collected and analyzed. Further, the state's attorney will and must reverse all judgment until the investigation is complete, end quote. Reserve all judgment, excuse me. I thought I said reverse. That was throwing me off for a second, too. Okay, and then that's the completion of the story that was written by Chris Green. And as we sit here today on September 12, 2022, there still have not been any further information released. There still has not been the name of the police officer who committed the murder being released. And the body camera video footage has not been released. And Jay Hanley and the state's attorney's office and the Winnebago Boone Integrity Task Force have yet to give any press conference press conference or any further details about this shooting. So I'm going to pass it over to Ari. So with all those things being said, I think what also comes into play is the importance of keeping the receipts of these different murders that have taken place and the importance of of remembering these these dates, remembering these events, remembering the names of the people who have been killed, remembering the names of the officers who have been involved in these in these killings, remembering the names of the state's attorneys, remembering the names of the different wound Winnebago Boone Integrity Task Force investigators. So that way we can 
We can, when articulating how this is an institutional problem, we can properly uh, show people that. I think a lot of times people believe this narrative of it being just a few bad apples or it being just a, a few bad police officers that are ruin it, ruining it for the vast majority of good police officers. And I think it's not until you look into multiple events of of these police shootings and see how many people are involved in first answering the call and then the whichever officer or officers do the shootings, then the officers who are there at the shootings initially after it takes place, the police chief who uh, who helps to to provide coverage for these officers, the police union who keeps coverage for these officers and make sure that they are paid even when they're on administrative leave after killing somebody, essentially getting a paid vacation to commit murders. And then the state's attorney's office who continually uh, support these justified findings. And then the different branches of law enforcement that are involved in the Winnebago Boone Integrity Task Force who continually find these, these shootings to be justified. And that's not one person or two people or three people. By the time you go through all these different layers and all these different institutions, you get to a place where 15 to 20 people are involved in justifying these, these acts of violence. And that happens repeatedly throughout, throughout the years. And once that has, once that has happened so many times throughout the years and you look up, you see that there's nobody's hands who are clean from, from these these acts that have taken place. And so I think that the not just keeping receipts so that way you can point out the individual officers who are wrong, but keeping receipts so that you can point out how this is bigger than an individual issue and it's an institutional issue is important. I think also seeing the commonalities that both Donovan Lewis, Donovan Lewis and Peter Yeager were killed inside their homes, which sort of goes back to what I was saying about the how far we have come removed from concepts of castle doctrine and how far we've come removed from even having a home or being or having or being protected or being safe inside of your own home. Uh, I think one of the other things that's that I think about when looking back on the shooting of shooting and killing of Peter Yeager is the lack of public outcry that exists in Rockford. There was not 150 people after Peter Yeager was killed outside of the police district, as we read about with the shooting of Donovan Lewis. There also was a, there was a Labor Day parade that took place initially after Peter Yeager was shot and killed, maybe some three or four days afterwards. And even just the blind support of the police that existed uh, at that at that event sort of lets you know the either the ignorance or maliciousness that is in the ideologies and belief systems of a lot of the people that exist, that live in this city, that live in this County. The same thing can be said when you look at comments or look at post shares on social media. And I don't think you should ever get too wrapped up in thinking that, you know, the there's 140,000 people that live in Rockford. Uh, give or take some thousands. And, you know, at a parade, there's maybe 300, 400 people there on social media comments. It's maybe, you know, 50, 60, 70 people. But I do think that you can always tell the climate of a city by the 
manner of the people who are outspoken about an issue. And I think that the fact that the that as of late, the most outspoken group of people about some of these officer involved shootings have been the people who support these shootings uh, is damning for the the people of goodwill that exist in the in this community that that exist in this city. And I think that it, it reminds us that without a massive pushback, that it will all that injustice will always be the thing that people are supportive of because injustice is the thing that is propagandized because injustice is the thing that people have profited off of and seen perpetuated. And because injustice is the thing that this country was, uh, you know, conceived on. And so if there's not a massive pushback uh, on a regular basis, this country will lean towards injustice. This uh, the people in this country will lean towards oppression and supporting uh, oppressors. And, And even if they are themselves, in the position of being oppressed, even if they are themselves closer to being Peter Yeager and Donovan Lewis than they are to being the officers who shot and killed Peter Yeager and Donovan Lewis. And so I think that to me, these officer involved shootings are a, are are an opportunity for us to not only dissect and not only diagnose the institution of the police department, but also other institutions that exist in our country. The state's attorney is an institution. Uh, I think the media is an institution, the way the media paints these narratives and the what the stories that become national stories and the stories don't that be, that don't become national stories. Uh, I think it's also a, a way for us to be able to dissect and diagnose our society and, and different communities and different, values our value systems as well and again i think for my last point i will wrap up is just the the understanding inevitability as part of being involved in this type of a struggle and the inevitability of officer involved shootings is that another one will happen again there will be another one in cleveland ohio where donovan lewis was murdered at there will be another one here in Rockford, Illinois, where Peter Yeager was murdered at. And the only way we will get to a place where there are not three people being shot and killed every day by police, there are not a thousand plus people being shot and killed every day by po- or every year, excuse me, by police, is if we have a massive resistance to the institution of policing that exists in this country. Okay, so as we get ready to wrap this episode up, we do just want to read an article about a shooting that took place in Zion, Illinois, mainly because we want to give multiple different multiple different ways in which these, these acts of police terrorism manifest. And also, I think it's important because it's in the area. It is in Illinois. It's, I think what you said was like 60 miles or something like that, 60 miles away from Rockford. And I think also it's a, a more complicated case. I think each one of these stories that we've read have become progressively more complicated. The Donovan Lewis one is he has no he's no he has no weapon. He's unarmed. So he's inside of his home. He's not posing a threat. And so that's the type of shooting that as of late has been less controversial for people to uh, to condemn. And. When I speak, and I guess I should say, people who already condemn these shootings as 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 a 
as an issue or who people already accept that these shootings are an issue. There are a portion of this country who, no matter what happens, they will not believe that these shootings are an issue. But there's another portion who believes that, and this is the uh, when you start getting to people who believe that there's just a few bad apples or a few bad cops, who believe that when you were killed in the manner George Floyd is killed, that that's inhumane or that's unacceptable. When you killed, killed in the manner Eric Garner is killed, that that's unacceptable. Uh, however, those people be when it becomes more complicated, like Peter Yeager, somebody who has a weapon, even though he's not firing the weapon or shooting the weapon, and nobody is in, and nobody is in danger of being shot by him in the moment, in that exact moment. For some people, that's more complicated. And when we get to this story here, this one becomes even more complicated than the Peter Yeager story. So I'll I'll read the passages or the paragraphs from it. We'll have a small reflection, then we'll wrap this episode up. A Zion police officer shot and killed a man who Lake, who Lake County officials said had a gun and was trying to break into a home Thursday evening. The mother of the man killed told police she had an order of protection against him and he was trying to break into her home. Officials said they got a call saying the 47-year-old male relative, who the coroner's office has since identified as George Franklin, was trying to break into the home in the 2800 block of Ezra Avenue. Zion police responded to the call within minutes, officials said. When police got there, they said he was in the backyard attempting to get into the house. Police said George had a gun and refused to drop it and started shooting at police. Quote, the man produced a firearm out of his clothing, turned toward police officers with a firearm, and shot rounds. End quote. Said Christopher Covelli with the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. Quote, the police officers retreated. The man ran approximately one block to the west with the firearm. A third police officer that arrived on the scene encountered the man. And that third police officer did shoot the man, end quote. George's mother, Josephine Franklin, says she told police she was concerned for her well-being. Quote, I need to know the truth, end quote, Josephine said. Quote, I don't want to know anything but the truth. I will not rest until I find the truth, end quote. George was taken to Vista East Medical Center in Waukegan, where he died. Preliminary autopsy reports indicated that he died from multiple gunshot wounds, the coroner's office said. None of the officers were shot in the incident, but the officer who fired the fatal shot was taken to an area hospital for evaluation. Police said there was an order of protection against George, but he had not yet been served with the order. An investigation by the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force is ongoing. And I'll pass it off to Ari to give us our final thoughts, and I'll just add this to the some of my thoughts about the, the shooting in Zion, Illinois. I think Firstly, because of the amount of times that there has been false information been put out by police or one thing has been said by police and turned out another has been true or half stories or narratives that we've been given by police until video camera footage or body camera footage or dash camera footage is released. It's always hard for me to take the words of these police officers uh, at, at face value. I think that specifically with some of our experiences, whether it be with having false charges put against us through protesting or whether it's seeing people have police officers say one thing happened when you talk to the person or anybody else on the scene and they say something different happened. I have a very strong distrust for the words of police officers. And I think that that strong distrust is one that is Again, another thing that has become more of an accepted norm, and that's why you see these these body camera rollouts happening at the extent in which they do happen. And I think that 
also one of the things that we have to we have to begin to to do is find alternative ways to deal with issues that don't re- that don't revolve around the police and again that's a very roundabout thing to say because every issue that manifests itself when the police is called is different from every other issue you know we all have unique situations but i think that once you realize that calling the police in a situation doesn't lower the risk it hires the risk of everybody involved there have been people who have called the police for help and have been killed by the police or arrested by the police there have been people who called the police for help and somebody got hit with a stray bullet or somebody uh, who was unaware got ran over you know there's or got tased there's there's always a risk that when you bring a police officer into a situation that violence not only will be used indiscriminately but that violence will be used against somebody who maybe had is not the quote unquote suspect that or the person that you're calling the police for. And, and again, these situations are very complicated. Three people, three times a day, people are shot by police. Each time people are shot by police, it's not somebody who has their hands up and is unarmed and is screaming, don't shoot me. Uh, It's the job of the people who are alive still or who have not been shot by police to put empathy, understanding, and humaneness at the forefront of our conversations and say that uh, if three people are shot a day by police, there are thousands of people who interact with police every day. Now, of those thousands of people who interact with police every day, there is a large amount of people who, whether it's through coercion, are violated, or whether it's through being physically assaulted or verbally assaulted or violated, but all of those people do not get shot. And so the fact that all of those people don't get shot means that those three incidents that happen daily, there are things that can be done to avoid those things culminating in shootings and in killings. And that has to be something that we put at the forefront of, uh, of our conversation about these things. I think something that we have to reflect on and to analyze when it comes to these shootings is it gives us a chance as a community to have dialogue about these actions that the state has taken because these are two separate entities. Uh, a police officer, an agent of the state, Donovan Lewis, Peter Yeager, uh, this was the name, George Franklin, and Zion, uh, Zion, Illinois, community members. Two different entities. But in the end, what we are seeing in three these three cases is an institution, not the community. An institution is going to investigate the death. An institution is going to investigate the murder. And we've seen on a local level that Jay Hanley can get up there and say, I'm not concerned if the officers followed policy. I'm not concerned. That's not, I'm not here to figure that out. So... We've seen these murders happen. We see these murders happen over a thousand times a year on a national level, level, three times a year on a local level. We've seen police officers do everything according to book and it be justified. We've seen police officers, one of them tweak, one of them not justified. We've seen police officers where everything go left, everything go left. He do exactly what he not supposed to do and... In the end, all he got was two months off work, paid. But the response is the same as at the institution level. 
The response is the same. The response is going to be the same at the institutional level until we as a community act together in dialogue and communication and reflection to change that. That's really what is important to realize in all aspects of these shootings. This is from Rockford, episode one, weekly episodes. We're going to try to keep this next one a little bit shorter, but we're hopefully, hopefully you are able to gain something for this. Hopefully this is educational. This is the from Rockford under the May 30th Alliance podcast network. My name is Ari Perez, Leslie Rolfe, episode one.